Suzanne Pedersen in her ninth Solheim Cup with this to win the trophy. Welcome to the Ninth Tee Podcast, Miram Lee, major champion by way of wedge. Joined by Ben Harpring of Women'sGolf.com. Ben, how are you? Kent, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm flabbergasted. A chipping for Eagle on the 72nd hole? And that was her third chipping of the day. What? What just happened? I, ben, please, please explain to me. I'm confused. I, uh, you know, she just put the ball in the hole. I don't know. <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> like, honestly, it, I, I had a feeling. I, I saw, I remember seeing when she chipped in on number six today. Um, I don't know if it was live or not at that point. But I saw the highlight for sure. And when she got to 16, I saw that, you know, she actually she had a rough tee shot. Not a great tee shot to the rough. Didn't really have a shot at the green. Got it to the pretty good shot to the fringe. And I was like, I think she could make this. And she made it. And then you get, But then she, she bogeys 17. And it's kind of like, uh... Dang. <laughs> you saw, you saw what I texted you right then. I said she had to eagle the last. And you lo did. and behold. You did. And she gets there. I'm like, you know, this is a, a, a very steep slope towards the water, towards Poppy's Pond that she was chipping from, too. And it was moving pretty good, as everyone, you know, who watched heard. And if you watched it live, you saw it. If it didn't if it didn't hit the hole it was definitely going to go at least 10 feet by oh yeah that was but, that was not going to be close but when she got up to that ball I was like hey she's already made two. Oh no no you're not getting credit for three in a row no 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 where's the record <laughs> i see none of it <laughs> i know i gotta start i gotta start doing the uh like the old school idea thing just like so I don't have the voice recorder, but the voice memo on the iPhone, so I can timestamp these. I'm going to record you can, it. You can timestamp them with Twitter.com, too. That is an option. You can tweet. <laughs> You're right, but I'm, like, notoriously a slow typer on my phone. On a laptop, I'm okay. So maybe I should pull up my laptop like all the pros, do, pro Twitter people do. But, uh, um, okay, fine. I just thought there was a good chance, though. Because, look, you chip in two, that means that you're hitting your lines pretty like pretty solid. I think Granted, the, the, the second chip in on 16, I can't get over saying the second one like there's multiple, but <laughs> that was a significantly long chip in. And I was mentally the point where, like, all right, Brooke just doubled. This is Nelly versus Brooke, and Brooke kind of shot herself in the foot. And then Nelly stuck it close. I'm like, okay, this looks this looks really good for Nelly right now. Corda is in prime time position. Whoop! 90 foot chip in. Just completely flips the script. And it's like, well, all right, here we are. Welcome to the back nine of the Dinosaur course. 
And that's that's how Miriam took care of it. By way of the wedge. No putting you know, required. I... You're, you're not nervy when you chip it in. <laughs> no, you don't have to worry about it. Um, I, I'm wondering, like, she was... I wonder where she... Like, if she was watching the leaderboard. It's great questions that hopefully get asked to her in the press conference after. But I would love to know, like, is she watching the leaderboard? Is she aware of how far back she was? Did did that free her up at all to kind of, you know, take these lines? I mean, you know, there's certain holes that you could always, you can try to make it, but there's some holes that aggressive play is not necessarily safe. And in that position, so let's say she would have parred that hole instead of chipped it in on 16, she still would have been two back, right? Um, so, like, does it does that change things at all? Did she she kind of flew under the radar the whole final round? It felt like until that chip in at sixteen is like okay, hey, Miriam's here. But then she bogeyed seventeen. It was kind of like oh, okay, well she had her moment. But then <laughs> but then it was like all of a sudden gets eighteen and hits hits her uh, hits a great tee shot and then hits the fairway wood. I'm not sure if it was. Three wood or five wood, I guess three wood, but into that wall, which we will talk about. But she played the way the course was set up and didn't leave herself an easy chip, though. It was not an easy chip. And she made it, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, she arrived. And and that, I really want to know how much that came into play. Like, on any other year, that would have been such a massive roar. But according to everyone there, like on the telecast and everything, there's no reaction to it. So Nellie and Brooke had no clue that she just tied the lead. But I also don't necessarily think that changes that much for either of them, particularly where they were off the tee, because she wouldn't have chipped in when they were on the tee box, right? So I think they were walking I... down the fairway after she had knocked it in. And the point being, what what was that going to change for either of them from where they were? Brooke still had to birdie because Nellie was one shot ahead of her. And Nellie still was probably going to need a birdie to win as soon as Brooke had her shot. Because Brooke got it through. You wouldn't know that she was stuck under the Great Wall of Dinah to steal a turn from Bethany Nichols, which was a really good term she came up with. Um, <laughs> and it was... You, you've got to put your foot on the gas still at the end, and that's what we saw with Nellie. She couldn't get in the fairway on the 18th in the playoff hole. She couldn't get on 18 in the fairway in the 72nd hole. And that was a theme of how they set the course up this week with the Bermuda Rough. It was incredibly punishing to go into the rough. Brooks' biggest screw-up of the final round was driving it into the rough, then trying to take a six iron out of it, and she couldn't get the ball up. And it stayed in the rough, and she short-sided herself and ended up with a double bogey. The The rough was designed to punish, and it did on the last. Yeah, I think uh, to take a turn from Judy Rankin during the telecast, this may have been the most difficult, most, I'm not going to say exactly right, but along these lines, the most punishing, shortest rough I've ever seen, like, at this tournament. Because it didn't necessarily, compared to some other tournaments, U.S. Opens especially come to mind, but the rough wasn't super long, but because of the kind of rough that it is, that Bermuda rough, the ball literally was disappearing. <laughs> 
So it did make it like impossible in a lot of situations to do anything with it. I was difficult for the cameraman and woman that was that was some impressive showings out there of just finding the ball period we want to talk yeah about, yeah we want to talk about jobs that are really difficult that aren't appreciated is following the golf ball off the tee especially with how smoky it was so extra <sighs> extra credit to the golf channel camera crew that was impressive yeah shout out to everyone out there and i mean staying safe wearing masks walking in that you know it was still say only 100 degree heat. Uh, it's it was still ex- it was extremely hot out there. And it, they, was a, it was a it was work. a dry heat. It was a dry heat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But this boiled down to obviously Miram, Brooke, Nelly, and when it came down to the playoff, which we haven't really talked about too much, you know Brooke and Miram putting themselves both in the fairway. And Miram was the one who hit it cleanly. Brooke kind of knuckleballed it and got lucky she got over the water. Yeah. And she gave herself a great look with the flat stick. Well, that was a pretty short birdie bid, but once again, missing low left. And it's it's been hard for Brooke to come back because in Canada they've been a bit stricter, understandably so, on COVID-19 precautions. And so she was really finally able to practice in Florida. But you're coming off a couple tournaments, you know, one off week in Florida to get your game right. That's still not, you know, there's usually seven, eight events before the first major, especially for the players who have played well in years past with the the um, spring Asia swing. And right. instead, she doesn't have that rhythm coming into this event. And having enough reps to necessarily be peak of her game because there were some uncharacteristic misses by the winningest Canadian of all time, which I felt really did her in at the end. Yeah. Um, it, well, it's very interesting because I think Thursday, Friday, the first couple rounds, she, she did seem just a little bit off, which is testament to how great she is, is that even though she didn't, look like especially the putter she looked like she was making some quick quick putting strokes now i'm no like expert on the swing on swing analysis or anything but um i mean the commentators on tv were also talking about it but just you know quick quick putting strokes not really committed not confident with the putter um and then of course third round moving day she went (laughs) incredible round 765 and everything seemed to be working so i think that it it felt like it would carry over to me into sunday and it just didn't i mean she was i mean at the end of the day she was tied for the lead start the day she finished the day tied for the lead and had what uh eight footer for birdie to in the on the first playoff hole to at least force miram to make hers i think it was closer than that Closer than that, six, six feet. It it didn't so, have too much movement right to left. Obviously, one of the nerviest putts you can have, knowing how close Miriam was. But yeah, it yeah. was it was a short bit. Yeah, it just so. I mean, she she gave herself the chance. With her game, not to me, wasn't all the way there. Does that make sense? I know. I mean, I, I agree. I agree. I, 
I don't think Brooke is going to be as hung up about this as Nelly because of that. Nelly was at the peak of her powers this week. And down the stretch, it's you... tough to say down the stretch, but, you know, 16, a little too amped up, hit it over the green. 17, a little too amped up, hit it over the ridge where you saw Stacy Lewis, who had a great week this week, hit it and played off the ridge like the savvy veteran she is, where it was kind of a bull feeding to the flag. If Nelly doesn't overamp that, she's probably got a close birdie look. Instead, she had to make a testy five, six foot comebacker for par to stay in it. And there was no real, not fair to say no real, but in terms of a strong bid for birdie at the end, she didn't give herself one. And 15 under wasn't going to cut it outright. And it ended up not. Uh, even if you take away Miram's chip in for Eagle, you had to imagine Brooke's going to birdie 18. You have to think she's going to get up there, hit it off the wall, and get up and down. So <laughs> it's, right. it's just not giving yourself the opportunity, focusing on the process is what's really going to bite her, I think. And, you know, experience is valuable. It's what you get when you don't get what you want. She'll grow from it, but it's going to take a little while. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously she has one of her big, one of her big advantages is her, her length. And to miss the fairway on the last hole, I mean, in, in regulation on 18 and then miss it again in the playoff, it really changed things up a lot because, and it's something I hadn't necessarily noticed as much, but Brooke hits her driver really far, but the, her, the other clubs in the bag aren't don't necessarily align, like distance wise, like they don't necessarily correlate to her long, uh, her long distance off the tee. So she hits her irons a little shorter. Nelly hits long like across through the bag. And she gets in the fairway. She she probably has. I'd imagine she'd probably have one of her irons, like one of her longer irons. But the point being, being able to generate a lot more spin and getting that ball a realistic chance at eagle and probably a good, a very good chance of a two putt birdie. So, you know what? I just thought of something. It's very interesting. You talked you talked about Nelly being at the peak of her powers this week. This is like the third time. Now, in this in the restart, I mean, so we had Lydia Ko at Marathon playing nearly basically about as good as you can play for almost almost four rounds, but just coming up short, I mean, you know, a very tough ending. Then win. Then the last tournament we played, the LPJ played the in Arkansas. Aiden Norquist played great golf all week, and then the final round just uh, didn't quite have it. Didn't finish it off. And to add and on to that, Celine Boutier at the Drive On Championship. You know she had a two footer that she missed that would have sent it to a playoff. Instead, Danielle Kang won it outright, and that started her on her streak. So. You got to finish off the tournament. It's not over till the ball's in the cup on the 72nd hole. And Nelly only played the 18th at one under par through the week. She birdied it 
on Thursday and parted every other day. And with a backstop, that's that is a critical lost opportunity for. Yeah, especially with two of the days, the T, two of the days that I can recall, the T's being moved forward, like where a lot of the field could go for the green, because she has the length that, especially with the backstop, that she probably could have gone. She's in the fairway, hits a good drive, probably has an opportunity to get the ball over the water and at least into the backstop almost all four rounds. So, yeah, definitely one under. At the end of the week, one under is not going to be enough on that hole. Um, but same thing as Brooke. Like, she did play so well all the other holes. Still be there with a the chance to win. Uh, golf's just so wild. Yes, you are correct. Nelly is fifth, the fourth longest, excuse me, fifth longest hitter on tour. So that's a that's a big advantage for her. To your point, that she needed to capitalize on and evidently could not, which is uh, tough to watch. Um, she's but, yet she's yet to win in the United States. Interestingly enough, she has three career wins, still has not won in the in the U.S. That is an interesting, you know, interesting fact. I I was actually talking to my to my mom earlier today. She always you know <laughs> she likes to kind of follow my lead as far as like who to cheer for or whatever. She she's her own person, but when there's players that she might not necessarily know as much or teams or whatever, she's like, well, who are you cheering for? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My mom asked like, well, who do you who do you want to win? Or and I was like, well, I mean, it kind of depends. I don't know if I'm necessarily pulling for one person outright. I was like, if Nelly wins, I think that's, I think it depends like who you are a fan of in the rest of golf. In my opinion, like what other players are you a fan of? Because if you're a fan of somebody else, I think it could be, it could be, um, it could be tough. It could be a big moment because it could be floodgates for Nelly. That's what I was thinking. If she gets she gets the major off her off her bat, I mean it's it's wild that she's twenty two years old. <laughs> she's still very young, but she wins a major, wins in the U.S., like knocks off these first. The talent is obviously there. She has the game to compete that anywhere, and if you get that kind of pressure off of you, I think that it could open up all sorts of possibilities. As we saw, like with Danielle Kang, she started winning, and that, that mental kind of hurdle, you get past it, and I think that that's all some players need. So I was thinking that Nelly, it was a, it could have been a really big kind of like floodgates opening if she would have won this week. And she talked with her coach a lot about saying, "I am the greatest putter in the world," right, to try and build up that self confidence, and. This is a moment that's going to strike it down for a little bit. Obviously, you try and put a perspective at some point. You were in a playoff to win a major championship. That means you played pretty darn good to get there. But, you know, that, that putter was a little... Again, it's easy to be sitting here and say, man, it didn't perform. Obviously, it's incredible pressure to win a major. But, right. you know, relative to what we saw all week at the end, it wasn't quite there. And that, to your point. You need that self-confidence to, to fall back on. 
uh, to Brooke's credit, you know, she wasn't missing short. You know, her putts today, she missed a lot of putts just off the edge. They weren't short. You got to give yourself a chance. And yeah, uh, especially that last putt in the playoff, it was just not high enough and short all the way. Uh, that's That was a non-confident stroke relative to what we saw from Nelly throughout the week. Hopefully an opportunity for her to grow. And to your point, at some point, the floodgates will break. But what what it could have been breaking a 22 versus whenever it might happen. Right. Which, very well, could be this year. Could be a KPMG. We're under a month away. Yep. Another uh, historic golf course there. So I'm glad we've, we, we've talked about everyone but Mirab. <laughs> well, I was just, and the I winner. Was ready, I was getting ready to say, hey, we have to give a big shout out to the champion, major champion, Miram Lee. We both deserve yellow cards. We're not saying that off the top, to be fair. We broke our yeah. rule again. <laughs> well, uh, same thing with... Um, with Brooke. Same thing with Brooke, yes. <laughs> but Miram, I mean, we did we did talk about her to, to start. We kind of got lost there with uh, Nellie and Brooke for a few minutes. But Miram played great golf. That's all. I mean, that's all there is to it. And she, and but when you're chipping in, I think it feels weird. It feels different, kind of, doesn't it? Because of the chip-ins. she went four under par today chipping the ball like without the putter that's a good day that's a good day that's that's how you end up with 24 putts on sunday (laughs) that is how you end up with 24 putts on sunday and she didn't really look comfortable saturday and she had 32 putts she goes from she improved by four shots with a flat stick between saturday and sunday she shot 71 in the third round, 67 today. <laughs> and improves by eight with a putter. <laughs> That's a formula for success. That's how you get it done. And and, and I guess when everything is not quite working, she did have a miss. I remember a miss on the tee Saturday in the third round that was so far right. The track man, the track man tracer technology was on that hole and was like, Whoa, <laughs> where, did it, where did that come from? Um, so she wasn't quite 100%, but you find a way to put the ball in a hole, like we've said. Like, and I think that is that is something for everyone that they can learn uh, of all skill levels of golf. Like, first of all, how important short game is. Just work on your short game. Practice it. Get good at it. You can, no matter like how long you are up the tee or how strong you are, whatever, you can work on your short game. And if you're, if you get really good at it, now you're not going to like chip in three times the final round of a major championship. <laughs> like you may not get to that level, but you, if you're, if you're at that level with your short game, then you're never really technically out of it. Other parts of your game can kind of be, I wouldn't suggest doing it, obviously, because the odds of that happening again like, <laughs> are not great. But I think you get my point. Like, 
these this is sports we we determine greatness on incredibly small sample sizes so you know how often are you going to chip in three times in a round i doubt miriam will do it again in her professional career well she did it under the brightest of lights and also to your point about her short game of the players that finished in the top four so that would be miriam brooke nelly and lexi thompson miriam was the only one without a double bogey this week there were no crooked numbers on the scorecard, and that is critical in major golf to not have a big step backward. There it is. Make, And that's another thing for, for this isn't really a podcast for necessarily the amateur players, but that is a key. Eliminate something. if you're, And if you eliminate, like, no double bogeys, bogey at worst. Because I think this is a golf course that I think everyone is very much aware when they're out there, that bogeys are going to happen. Just the way the rough is and how firm the greens are, like bogeys are going to happen. So it's just limiting those and then making sure that you don't have the bigger numbers, double bogeys and worse. This is an extreme example, right? But if you birdied every par five and had no bogeys, you would have won this week. You would have... <laughs> Right, like to your point, if you if you focus and take care of the simple stuff, you could have won. Uh, obviously, not realistic, but the point stands that you're 16 under every week. You'll be in contention. So, and especially at the NA Inspiration, which played certainly differently, not just from the Bermuda Rough, but the practice rounds were windy, and the regular tournament was not. There was not a gust of wind to be seen in the telecast. And, no. you know, Jerry Foltz on the Golf Channel telecast was mentioning that the caddies thought one under was going to be a good day on Thursday. And, oh boy, did those priors get changed quick when the wind was gone. Yeah, real quick. We had the morning wave. Uh, a couple of players get to five under. And I remember I texted you. I was like, well... You know, it's going to be tougher for the afternoon. I think it's going to dry out. And and then what? Nelly goes out and she goes 600 in the afternoon wave. Like, oh, okay, well. No. I thought the same thing. <laughs> I thought it was going to be hard in the afternoon. I thought you had to capitalize on your morning round. The conditions were going to be better. But nope, 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 nope. 100 degree heat. And Miriam Lee with this performance gets into the U.S. Women's Open. She's able to qualify, unlike the controversial moment that Sophia Popoff won the AIG Women's Open and cannot mm. get into the a Inspiration this week. Well, big shout out to the major champion, Miriam Lee, again. Um, the crown yeah, stays think... in Korea. <laughs> yeah, and it really didn't, it, it really didn't feel like that, huh? It, it felt like it was going to be in the U.S. or Canada. And you know what was amazing is that there was some Canadian support. Oh, this is a little side topic, but off topic. But there was actually like crowd support. I heard cheers and claps. Did you hear that? Yeah. Going down the stretch, Brooke, especially Brooke, I think. And they were clearly, like, if you saw the video, they were inside their property lines. But there were people like just out at, on the back, uh, their backyards there at the the homes along around the course, and just cheering her on. They're loud. That they were. Uh, it was very weird. 
you know, I was being at the ANA last year and like seeing the energy around the 18th green and the players doing a great job of high-fiving the fans as they walk down the 18th green before crossing the bridge of Foppy's Pond. And just how quiet it was. Like you mentioned that about Miriam's chipping. If she chipped it in and the fans were there, Nellie and Brooke are both like, something happened. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It makes no, they, it different. They, they, it, makes they, it, it makes it like your junior career. You know? Yeah, which which I think that some players genuinely like that's fine. Like they they would rather have it that way. Just I wanna go out and play the best golf I can. I'm not gonna change my strategy or my approach or whatever. But some people I think would just I think thrive under the, that like the fans well, you know, Danielle Kang who I believe you know finishing tie level this week. So she's not quite in contention, but she's a player who, like, she loves. I think she would have thrived under that. Like, if she would have been in the group behind, if she would have been in Nellie or Brooks' position, I think she's the kind of player that would have been like, "All right, I got to do something." Like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. Based on the roar, it sounds like an eagle. It looks like I got to do something right now. And some players might. It might make them tighten up quite a bit. So it, it does definitely, I, I think the, the absence of fans was definitely felt, especially on the 18th. And the absence of fans didn't have the grandstands around the 18th green, but the the blue wall was created. <laughs> ben, you are known for your spicy hot takes on this podcast, ranging from the weather is going to be hot. <laughs> <laughs> to various others on your resume, what is what is the Ben Harpring hot take on the walls around the 18th green this week? I wish I wish that I had a hot take, like just a clear cut hot take, because I have so many mixed emotions. Um, obviously, like Miriam's incredible chip in probably doesn't happen if if it's not there, but at the same time. Brooks' shot would have clearly been in the water, and so she got put like saved. Um, overall, my general feeling is that this was like a unique circumstance, and I think it would have been great to play the tournament unique and not have the wall. It would have just changed that, like even if that meant you moved up tees a little bit more. So that the players, like, if you wanted a day that, like, to have the field, everyone in the field, or almost everyone be able to reach in two, even if that meant moving up the tee a little bit more to make it more enticing, it just would have been nice to see, like, <sighs> it was, <laughs> no, deep it, sigh. <laughs> it was, it, I just think that was, in, in my opinion, a missed opportunity there. It's, it is, oh, I, understand it in some ways but at the same time it's like this is the year 2020 <laughs> this is the year that like nothing is normal so as as we are used to it and this term is not well fingers crossed probably not going to be played in the month of september again and hopefully fingers crossed we'll be able to have fans again so like that means bringing back the, the grandstands there and then there being a natural wall there or natural, unnatural, 
That's funny. Think of the grandstands natural. This is it just seems so weird. It like this big blue canvas this there to clearly block balls from going into the water. That's that's it. Uh, what did what's your take on it? Well, I think it's a little more succinct than feeling it was weird. At first, <laughs> it was like, okay, we're trying to replicate years past. That's fine. Replicate. But then, you know, I'm an opinionated person, but I'm open to being wrong. I, I log into Twitter.com, everyone's favorite website. And <laughs> Beth Daniel and Katrina Matthew are having an interesting back and forth about, you know, the history of why the grandstands are up. And how much more difficult that hole is without those. And it's a major. Make it difficult. Make that hole scary. It's the last hole. You should be nervous. There's a lot on the line. And so I kind of, I not, not kind of, excuse me. I agree. It should not have been there. It should have been something different for the players to face this year. And especially with how firm the greens were you better be Nelly Corda bomb length off the tee hitting an iron in to try and keep it on because you saw past the wall it slopes away into the water you don't have that much room to work with and it puts a premium on it versus again you can't blame Miram for playing bumper cars but bumper cars is not golf and so, you know, don't don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> well, hating, hating the blue wall being up to give her the opportunity to be like, all right, I'm just going to hit this hard and hit it off the wall. And that's relatively stress-free. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, at the end of the day, it's it's like like a lot of things. And there's certain, there's rules in golf. You, you, t- you take advantage of it. You take advantage, you do the best that you can given like the cir- the circumstances that you're given are presented with and they were presented with the 18th hole with the wall being there if you played that hole and just to like mentally like say personally like i'm against the wall being there so i'm not going to play it as if the wall's there like it it would be silly if you were really really trying to win um you you got to take advantage of the rules or the the setup that's presented to you. I think everyone did. I thought it was really interesting. So I heard, I think on Thursday that during one of the practice rounds, Megan Kang, uh, who was playing practice on Nelly uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, took a ball and put it underneath the the wall, like the the tarp there that makes up the wall, and it rolled all the way into the water. Just kind of like dropped the ball where it could get under and it rolled all the way to the water so i actually kept waiting all week for that to happen and then brooks ball just took that perfect top and came in like with some heat it just dove straight into that like a chipmunk or something going back to its home <laughs> going back to its home it dove in hard and I was it like, did i was like that's in the water not realizing and i wonder if if like maybe someone saw some of the tournament staff saw Megan do that with the ball or it became a topic, but I didn't realize it was like tarped on the back as well. So I thought it was like, it, like all the way down, I guess I should have known that. But, um, 
<laughs> just to see, and then to see uh, Brooke's sister Brittany pop out from underneath, <laughs> under, like crawl out <laughs> underneath. I was like, wow. So the ball just got trapped in there. Um, so it, it just would have been wild, though. Like, just think about that. She played basically to hit that ball off the wall in the one and however many, like a million chance or whatever for it to go underneath and actually go in the white, somehow get a water ball after actually hitting the wall where it's supposed to completely eliminate that chance. It would have been wild, but you know, credit to her too. Taking the free drop that she had, hitting a super good shot and making birdie to get into the playoff. You can you can only play with what's in front of you, and she did. But yeah, I I was surprised that they found it. That was a uh, to your point about the trap. You know, where's the Admiral Akbar meme? But yeah, it was. Um... You sorry, interject. You know what I was worried about? I was actually worried about them opening up the back. Like, what if it was resting against the back, and they when they like they opened it up to peek and look for it, and it just like rolled out. And then that's how it ended up in the water. Would that would that would be a ball in the water, right? Golf Twitter would have melted down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Penalty stroke for the ball moving after finding it. <laughs> after after yeah. the majority of the field was not punished. The Canadian yeah. does not get the benefit of the doubt. Gone. Thank goodness, thank goodness that didn't happen. But I was like, oh no. <laughs> Please no. If it like, uh, under the circumstances, at least just let them find it so they're not something, like, beyond contra- controversial. So, uh, there was enough controversy with the wall just existing. Yeah. Very true. Speaking of players taking advantage of the opportunity in front of them, Parameters. Balling out. Two top 15 finishes. Rose Zhang. Low amateur. Tie for 11th. Gabriella Ruffles. Tie for 15th. Ruffling the feathers of the field a little bit there, huh? <laughs> Can count on you, Kent, for a good joke there. Um, yeah. No, Wait, pla- was that sarcasm? <laughs> what? <laughs> All my jokes are great. Hi. <laughs> I'm playing the rest of this podcast under protest. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could concur and say that all your <laughs> jokes are great, but um, they're pretty good, to be honest, if you're into dad jokes. and <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> this was honestly super impressive play from Gabby Ruffles and Rose Zhang. It was, it was almost, almost deja vu. Um, I mean, they kind of had their own, their own battle again. Cause, look, they, they played each other in the U.S. Women's Amateur Final this year, which which Rose Zhang ended up winning. But it was like a head-to-head battle, literally to the very last putt for low amateur. You know, they ended up finishing uh, eight shots and seven shots behind the leader, respectively. But tie 15, tie 11, super great showing. And to me... Like they're both, like Gabby, she comes from a tennis family. I think, I I don't know the exact number. I think she's only been playing golf for like six years, maybe. Like she picked it up as a teenager, I believe. 
and just is a, a natural at it. And look, she's on, playing an LPGA major champion. She's already a U.S. Women's, women's amateur champion. She finished runner-up this year. And then she plays in the A&A Inspiration LPGA major championship and is clearly like contending with the best players in the world, competing with the best players in the world. And Rose Zhang, who is uh, committed to Stanford, I believe she's only 17. She can, I, I'm impressed with her. I mean, as we've seen with, with a lot of players over the years, um, Leah Ko, Lexi Thompson, Brooke Henderson, like they, they all seem to, I think there's a common thread among these young players that are really good is their maturity, like being mature beyond their years, as people like to say. But in her post, they interviewed her post round, kind of, you know, like you're the low amateur and how was the week, you know, and I was so impressed. She was just like, she, she said she wasn't, she didn't get to prepare for a tournament like she normally would. So she didn't have any expectations. And she goes out. She's eight under for the week, tie 11th. She sounded like a veteran out there. Like, ah, I didn't get to prepare for this tournament like I normally would. But, oh, you know what? She does have a lot of success there. She she won the ANA Junior Inspiration uh, two years ago, I believe. And so she's played in this event before, played this course before. So it, it's still really impressive, though. It was quite the performance from both of them. And I was thinking at the end, well, first off, you got to give a shout out to Rose, who was four over through the early going on the front nine today and bounced back to finish even par to get to eight under and take low am. But I was thinking, is she going to take the same path as you leave me? No, no was committed to another PAC 12 school, UCLA and decided, nah, I'm going pro. And Rose clearly has the game to where if she wants to change that zero on the leaderboard to some actual cash, <laughs> she she could take advantage of some opportunities. She clearly has the game to compete on the tour. And there's clearly, you know, Zhang and Ruffles have ridges of future performances on the LPGA. Yeah, no doubt. Uh... <laughs> Pringles, you want to sponsor us? <laughs> sure <laughs> for sure i they both have lpga I mean, professional golf in their futures i i agree with that and it is interesting i mean if if this year was different meaning basically there's no q school this year so there's not like an opportunity to so the only way to improve your status right as we've talked about on this podcast before is to win a la Sophia Popov. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the only way to improve your status for next year is to win. So I don't know if turning professional and with so many question marks in the, would be, I, I'm sure that that, it may be something that she's thinking about is what I'm trying to say. But it also Maybe she's not thinking about it as deeply as say Yaley me know because there's a lot of question marks up like in the air right now, I think. As far as like, well, what could I actually do as a professional next year? What like what options would I even have? That kind of thing. But I think your point is more like she has the level like her level of play is good enough to be out there. 
or at least be competing in professional golf. So maybe we'll see her out here, out there sooner than later. Speaking of seeing someone in a familiar place, Lexi Thompson in contention at the ANA Inspiration, another <laughs> top five finish under her belt. That's her fifth one. What? <laughs> Only five? Top five finishes? <laughs> it's pretty, pretty good. Winning in 2014, fifth place in 2016, second in 2017, third in 2019, fourth in 2020. <laughs> That's, you know, the, the winningest player of the ANA Inspiration by Annika Sorenstam and Amy Alcott. And Lexi has knocked on the door so many times. So close. And she's still so young. She's in her mid-twenties. You would think she has yeah. an opportunity with how much ownage she has at the Dinosaur Tournament course to eventually join those two and possibly surpass down the road. And I, I wonder if on some level that's something she considers because of how well she plays there year over year. Well, it's just... I think that she, first and foremost, just wants to... I think there's... Because we know the history there, there was in 2017, the rules thing. We talked about this in the preview. Um, losing in the playoff to Cillian Yu. And... I think if she got that one, <laughs> talk about it with Nelly, kind of like floodgates, getting that the monkey off the back, all those different things. I think if Lexi's over, able to overcome that, overcome the hump, get over the hump, I, I think that, that three, honestly, with her age and how, how good she is, how great she plays that course, it really seems like three is like the low end of what she'll end up winning there. But people probably been say, I mean, we've probably been saying that for several years now, five top five, five top five finishes. That's what you said. Yep. Including the win, including the controversial playoff loss to Soyeon Yu in 2017. See, I feel like three, like if we're trajectory, like long-term, I feel like three is like the low end of wins that she ends up on, having on this course at this tournament. But of course, golf is funny game, and in men's golf, Bill Nicholson. Who? How many U.S. Opens should he have? I don't know. <laughs> how many times? He doesn't he, have. He doesn't... How many top five finishes did he have at the Masters before he finally broke through there? You know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it, and you'll get that opportunity. Like I, she, the thing is with Lexi, and we know there's certain courses. She's going to have an opportunity. And if you're just looking, especially if she's putting well. And it actually this week, to me, she looked much better putting the ball than she has in a long time. Although she did miss a few putts that, you know, just she's a little shaky over. There's still some putts uh, in, in moments where she, I don't know if it's confidence or what, just doesn't make them. But overall, you know, she finished round one. 29 putts, round two, 29 putts, round three, 31 putts, round four, 28 putts. The round three and four kind of like she hit 17 of 18 greens regulation in round three. 
So that that's part of why there's so many putts. You're just hitting more greens. But overall, she's 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 putted better this week. If she puts well, well, and I'm actually looking at these driving stats right now. <laughs> round one, two seventy nine. Round two, three hundred. Round three, two eighty eight. Round four, three oh four. So I have, I have mixed is, emotions is, about the driving stat in general, but continue. I I do too because I I realize that they have like one or two holes that they take the driving yeah. distance stat off strange. of correct. So yeah. it it can be inflated or deflated depending on like the tournament and wind and all that those kinds of things that come into play. But but regardless, we know she hits the ball a long way. So if she's hitting the ball a long way. She hits the ball a long way, and she's putting well. She's going to be right there. And, and she changed her putting grip again before a major. Yes. At the, at the U.S. Women's Open last year, she broke out the claw and finished in second. So clearly the recipe right. for a top five is, all right, I'm going to move my hands from what I did the last event. <laughs> now we're going to see what the magic touch is or, this week. Or what you did in the last, like, a lot of events, which is what is really interesting to me. Like, I don't know if there's added focus, like whenever you change a, a grip, if there's added concentration or or just feels good. But I always, I always thought, like when you go into a tournament week, right, say there's swing coaches that come. On Monday, if you're really needing some help straightening something out, maybe you, you critique a little something. But usually you're not making any you're not making any big changes the week of or the week before the tournament, let alone a major championship. But completely changing grips, but it it seemed to work. Just like the, the claw grip seemed to work last year at the US Women's Open, so I don't know. I guess we will see what what she does moving forward. And give a tip of the cap to Stacey Lewis for solo fifth place. Uh, another strong performance for her first victory a couple weeks ago since becoming a mother at the Aberdeen Standard Investments Ladies Scottish Open. Say that ten times fast. Uh, <laughs> good to see her continue to perform heading into Portland next week, where she's also won before. She was technically defending last year because she did not play in 2018 after having Chesney, her daughter. So see if... The game will continue at another course where she's won before. But before we jump into Portland, we got we to gotta give me more numbers and continue to analyze the picks of the week. Running through my, my <laughs> five selections, I'm glad I haven't mentioned the pain that was brought to me from picking Nelly um, and watching her in the playoff. Uh, but in order from lowest odds to highest odds, I picked Daniel Kang. Plus eleven hundred, Sayung Kim plus fourteen hundred, Nelly Korda plus sixteen hundred, Sunghyun Park plus thirty five hundred, Yelimi No plus eleven thousand. Nelly finished the highest, tied for second. Kang tied for eleventh. Kim tied for eighteenth. Park tied for fortieth, and No it tied for forty fourth. I felt the best in terms of odds about Sunghyun Park coming into the week. This was her first event back on the LPGA Tour. And Friday morning, I took a screenshot. My picks were in solo first. Kang, Kim, and Park were tied for second. 
And kaboom! <laughs> Everyone fell back but Nelly. Uh, unfortunately, Nelly couldn't come through in the playoff, but this was the strongest week in terms of everyone making the cut and having someone in contention so far. Yeah, you made some great picks. I, I would have picked it. I think it was it was interesting to find out that Sung Hyun was kind of over, was overcoming a shoulder injury, mm-hmm. which is kind of some new news. Um, so first tournament back, I think the level of player that she is and the ceiling that she has, great pick with the odds. She just, just didn't quite add up this week. But but Nelly, I so see you still have to explain some of the the betting odds kind of numbers, what they mean and stuff to me. But the plus sixteen hundred, so she was out of the players you picked, the third most likely to win. And does that seem kind of high to you, or is that do you think that was the correct number? Because she played really well last uh, in the last tournament in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. She ended up finishing tie third. Mm-hmm. And so it seems, of course, Sey Young, well, for Danielle, two wins this year, and number two player in the world. So we, we got that. I get why she would be the highest. And then Sey Young, eight consecutive top tens in, tournament, in her most uh, recent eight tournaments played, top ten. So I, I kind of get that too, but Nelly, like, with her game and then the trending of of her play, uh, it seemed like maybe she should have been there, maybe a little ahead of, a little closer to Danielle, maybe. I don't know. So the odds-on favorite this week was NB Park at plus 1,000. And I took more favorites than usual because this field was smaller than any other fields we've seen. There were 105 players initially. Charlie Hole withdrew due to testing positive for COVID-19. So with 104 players compared to 140 in your average event, you're already just mathematically looking at better odds. Just less possibilities for a Sofia Popoff esque run, right? And then, since the drive-on championship, the odds-on favorite each week has been plus 600 to plus 700. So to have the odds-on favorite at plus 1,000. So that's already elevated. And a smaller field. Those favorite odds are better than usual. So you're incentivized to take more of them. And Danielle was the second highest in the field behind NB. And I kind of compare that to Christian McCaffrey falling to two in your fantasy draft league. That's the best guy in the league right now. And... Danielle, I think, fell off in her last couple of performances because she played five weeks in a row, and that's hard. And so I just wrote that off. It's like, all right, her first three events, she had a legitimate chance at winning all three, took home two. It's pretty good, and she finished in the top five last year here. Excuse me, T6. So that's in contention. And I thought, all right, now you've got a, you've got a history of a plan. Pick that up. And then Sey Young and Nelly, to your point, were just two players trending in the right direction. Neither of them were major champions. That was my hot take. Ended up being true that someone who hadn't won a major champion before would emerge <laughs> victorious this week. That's not a very hot take, considering how many players in the field had not won one. But uh, 
And I was just genuinely shocked that the number four player in the world would be at 35 to one. You know, she hadn't played great at the end of last year. And sure, it was her first appearance, but she's the number four player in the world. She was number one in the world when this tournament happened in 2019. This is a player with a ton of talent. And, you know, the hypothetical thought exercise is if you simulate the event a thousand times, who's going to win how many how often and i feel like you know sanghyun would have won more than 35 times out of a thousand so and especially you think about the simulation right like i felt pretty good friday morning i'm like oh boy <laughs> here comes the world's <laughs> number four <laughs> off a break to winning a well, major yeah. um well yeah and what well, was sanghyun with her game like literally it, it is so wild i guess she might not be the most consistent but out of anybody like on any given day i feel like on almost any golf course she has a 10 under like she could literally go 10 under almost with with how high she because she, she plays a different game than mostly everybody else that out there um you know you could put lexi and nelly in that conversation as well um but with her ball flight and with with the dinosaur course playing with no wind, so that hot, that high ball flight doesn't get affected as much. It it could have very well been, you know, a week. It was a great choice. That's my point. It was it was a great pick, especially at those odds. One thing I'm recognizing with my picks, Ben, I'm going to have to reformulate. Those long odds have not really uh, been in contention that I've been putting. You know, I allocate 25 units. I usually put two and a half on someone who has higher odds. Yalimi, good player. Played her way into this week. Had a top 15 finish. Has been in contention twice. May have been a little early there. May have wanted to wait for next week where she was in the lead going into Sunday. Speaking of Portland, speaking of the next event on the LPG Tour calendar, I'm going to take that segue and run with it. Sophia Popoff is back. Be fun to see the major champion make her debut as a major champion in LPGA Tour field. And in terms of betting odds, those aren't going to come out till tomorrow for the event. But I'm a little sad Brooke played as well as she did this week. Because <laughs> Brooke has a tendency to win at tournaments that have the same course year over year. She's won twice in Portland, which is held at the same course every year. She's won twice at Meyer, which is held at the same course year over year. And has won twice at the Lotte Championship, which is held at the same course year over year. If you put Brooke on a course she's comfortable, she's going to go off. So I'm likely still going to pick her regardless of her odds. Likely. Unless they're super low. And the fact she played so well this week is going to really throw those off. Like, let's if Brooke had finished, say, 25th, I bet her odds would be 1,400, 1,200. With how well she played this week, she's probably going to be the odds-on favorite next week. Yeah, that sounds about right. And that hurts the value. Again. I... Hurts the value of the pick. We want that right. ROI, return on investment. So. <laughs> totally makes sense. So, also, you know, that, that reminds me of a little, again, it's a little Tiger-esque there. Success on on the same golf courses that are, the golf courses that are played year in, year out. 
picking up a few regions, and they're they're not the same by any means. Hawaii, Oregon, and Michigan. Those are not the same climates, not the same. Yeah, so that's that's really an interesting statistic there. I'm guessing that you're not going to get great odds next week. I would agree. That's likely. <laughs> Did you see the screenshot of Brooke hitting driver off the deck and how much of an overswing it was? Like the club was at like a 40 degree angle relative to parallel down. Yeah, it's incredible. So <laughs> when No Laying Up decides they want to redo their logo, that's the silhouette right there. That is the epitome I, of not laying up. Full board driver off the deck. <laughs> you know what was amazing today? Um, I forget what hole it was, but she was in the rough. And the ball was visible. One of the few times it kind of propped up. And her three wood, the head on it's a little bit bigger. And it really did, with the camera from behind, it really did look like driver. It's like everyone was kind of like losing their minds for, for a minute there on the telecast. Like, she's hitting driver out of the rough. She's hitting driver out of the rough. And then finally the front camera came around and you saw the face of the clay. Like, oh, it's a three wood. It's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Or we, we... <laughs> it's, it makes more sense now. But. But it's funny because she she does hit that driver. She'll pull that driver out and hit it off the deck. I haven't seen her hit it out of the rough, but as often as she's I've seen her hit it off the off the fairway, and as well as she's hit it, it really didn't surprise me. I was like, okay, okay, Brooke. Like, I, I guess you'd be one of my first. You'd probably be my first pick to hit a driver off the deck or out of the rough, for that matter. That speaks to how strong her brand is. That it was that much, you know, hit back. It was rallied around so much on the broadcast. Like, is Brooke really going to do this? The only her would it be considered to pull driver off the thick Bermuda rough. Where the ball wasn't yeah. sitting up top perfectly either. It was pretty steep in there. Yeah. It was like, what? What is going on? It was, uh, I mean, yeah. That's, that's Brooke. That's Brooke, the likely favorite next week at the Cambia Portland Classic. Thanks for teeing up with us this week on the Ninth Tee Podcast. Ben, we end the show with my favorite segment. What's your piping hot take for next week? Ooh, piping hot take. I am going to go the opposite of you, of your take for this week, for this past week. And I believe we are going to have a repeat winner. A, win next week a repeat I mean, winner I, in what way sorry someone who a tour winner already we're gonna have it's not gonna be a first time winner it will not be a first time <laughs> winner though you leave me no thread in last year hannah green defending champion took home her second career victory up in portland ben we'll we'll chat next sunday we'll we'll break down uh the final event of this two-week stint before a week off on the lpga tour calendar I'm looking forward to it, Ken. I'll see you then, or talk to you then. (laughs) Talk soon.